You are listening to the Rethinking Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm a former pastor turned brewer with a deep love of theology and philosophy. While I don't always wear the label comfortably, Christianity seems to be baked into who I am. I've found a home within the world of process relational thinking and have made close friends with the mystics. So whether you're a devout believer, a questioning skeptic, a bold atheist, or simply someone trying to figure out what it means to be human, you belong here. Thank you for joining me and taking the risk of entering into this sacred space. And thank you for reminding me that we aren't alone on this journey. Let us imagine a better way to be human together. Shall we begin? Alright friends, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith Podcast. As always, I am your host, Josh Patterson, and joining me today for the very first time is Kathleen Bonnet. Bon- yes? Nailed it. Alright. <laughs> I've I've been a failure at pronouncing names, so I'm happy I got it. Uh well anyway though, Kathleen, welcome and thank you for putting up with the craziness. Um as I was trying to get Zoom to work because it decided to kick me out before our conversation. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, it should it should be fun. Um so I guess the best way perhaps to start what I what I tend to like to do at least is to just ask you to tell myself and the listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, what kind of things you find yourself doing. Yeah. Um, so I tend to live at the intersection of scholarship and praxis. Um, I like to try to bridge the gap between sort of academia and uh, lay experience, right? And of course, to let each inform the other as I sort of go through life and try to respond to some of the questions that that I encounter. Um, so I got my doctorate in 2016 in theology. Um, at the same time as I had my my first child was born, uh, the first year of my doctoral program. So um, I've sort of just been weaving together, you know, that scholarship and motherhood. Um, I actually homeschooled for a while. I now have three kids. So that's, you know, primary focus for me. Uh, and then I homeschooled them for a while uh, while I was also adjuncting. So teaching theology as an adjunct at various places. Um, and I also worked for the School Sisters of Notre Dame in their Office of Justice and Peace. Um, And so that has sort of been, you know, balancing and integrating those things has been a big part of my formation. Uh, And currently I work at Georgetown University in the Center on Faith and Justice, where uh, we try to animate the spiritual dimensions of civic engagement. And, um, you know, we do educational programming and advocacy around the intersections of faith and morality and politics. Um, and so I'm Catholic, very engaged in, in my parish. Uh, and so uh, in addition to scholarly writing, I also write for America Magazine and US Catholic. So if anyone's interested in engaging with me on, on other issues further, uh, check out those resources for sure. Sweet, well, thank you. Um, I, so let's see, Georgetown, 
I, when I used to be a pastor, the last church that I worked in, um, the, so I did like high school and young adults, uh, ministry and then the middle school, uh, director, um, she also went to Georgetown, which was like kind of my introduction. And so I've driven by it a couple of times. It's a cool looking, has like that, like castle look to it, or at least some of the buildings do, I guess. Uh, and so I've, I've enjoyed that. And, um, turns yeah, out we're not great. too far from each other, which is interesting. Yeah. But I do. So, all right. I'm curious. This is a personal question, totally unrelated to your book. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, just like, cause I'm, I'm deeply curious. What was the experience like of being in a doctoral program and like having a child at the same time? That seems like two very big things at once. Yes. How did you how did you manage and pull that off? <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, so teamwork, first of all. Um, my husband actually was also in a doctoral program at the same time. And so a lot of just sharing all the things. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, really it was an exercise in learning how to not compartmentalize. Um, and learning how to sort of incorporate my life experience with what I was studying, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed that I'm in a field where I, you know, it's, it's, I can do that. Um, and it's meaningful to do that. But I think that was really helpful to be able to like, okay, I am, you know, up all night, <laughs> I'm not getting any sleep, I'm comforting this crying child. And what is that teaching me? about, you know, responding to this, this big question of, of who God is. Right. Um, so I think that was, that was a really beautiful and meaningful experience too. Um, but yes, it was, it was hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard, uh, horror stories from friends who are smarter than me and also have doctoral degrees <laughs> trying to manage that. And I've also heard friends talk about their first time having a child. So, um, two experiences I have not had yet, uh, but hopefully both of them are something that happens in the future. <laughs> so just curious, try to steal, you know, some of your wisdom to, you know, benefit, uh, myself in the future. <laughs> but I guess also another thing I'd be curious about, um, kind of before we jump into some of the content of your book, excuse me, is just a little bit about your story. How did you end up you know, getting a PhD in uh, theology? How did you end up within the Catholic faith? Like these kind of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think there's so much there to put together. And I think, um, you know, that is a big part of, of what I was trying to to get at in my book also. So it's, I think, a great jumping off point. Um, but for me... Um, I was raised actually in an evangelical tradition, um, where, you know, it was, it was very biblical literacy, literalism, uh, tradition and, um, you know, much focus on community and the emotional experience of faith, um, and not so much on the intellectual, um, uh, experience of faith. And for me, that was something that always, um, it rubbed me the wrong way. And so there, there were some moments where I heard, I had pastors, you know, say things 
that I just knew were not true. And I couldn't, I, I just couldn't make sense of that. Um, and so that really, it kind of both started me on this path of like, faith was valuable, right? I had really wonderful experiences in that tradition um, and, and a great sense of community and love and belonging. Uh, luckily, you know, I know that's not always the case. Um, but I also just didn't feel settled. Like I, I didn't feel like what was happening there was true or authentic in a lot of ways. And so then I went to, I ended up going to um, Villanova University for undergrad and was exposed to, you know, these, the theologians in my medieval philosophy class, right? So I'm studying Augustine and Aquinas and um, Bonaventure and was just so blown away by how rich the intellectual tradition of Christianity was. Um, and so in my head, that translated to Catholic <laughs> because, you know, those writers were Catholic. And so, you know, now I know that, of course, their influence is much more widespread and, and all of that. But for me, it um, led me into pursuing the, the Catholic faith. Um, and the more I, I delved in there, the more I was just really um, excited about the way that faith and reason were woven together and um, how just how rich and beautiful the tradition was in a way that I had not experienced before. And so that's kind of how I ended up in the Catholic church. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think getting my doctorate was sort of an outgrowth of that, right? Like I was just so excited about all of this, <laughs> these beautiful things that I was learning and I'm just wanting to keep learning about them. And so, um, you know, I just, kept going to school. I, I consider myself a lifelong learner, right? And so if I, yeah, now I'm on sort of the other end of that spectrum, but still learning from my students every day, right? And learning from um, all the, the texts and, and experiences that I'm having now. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I think, um, so I too, I, I kind of grew up in more evangelical spaces and I was always kind of told like, well, you know, like Catholics, mm, not really Christians <laughs> when like, it was just so interesting to me because I feel like uh, evangelicalism, at least in my experience is so kind of like, and it's going to be harsh, but like kind of a historical in that I was kind of taught like, this is the tradition. It's always been this way. There was like Jesus and Paul. And then, you know, some people really screwed things up, but luckily the Baptist showed up and like settled it all. And now we're good. Um, and like, that was my church history understanding. So like, Same. Yes. uh, yeah, that jumps interesting. And I currently find myself, uh, working for a tiny little Episcopal church, Yeah. but they're kind of definitely more like high churchy, uh, more like Anglo Catholic kind of Episcopalian mm -hmm. church. So that's been really interesting kind of, um, learning the liturgy and like seeing these spaces, the, the smells and the bells, so to speak, um, has, has been a lot of fun. Uh, and then also too, I guess I'm curious the, when you mentioned Villanova, um, immediately what comes to mind is Elia Delio who wrote the forward for your book, which is freaking awesome, by the way, congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. She's lovely. She's really is that wonderful. Kind of your connection was through Villanova. Yeah. Well, 
Sort of. Yes okay. and no. Okay. Not as an undergrad. Um, she okay. was actually, I think she was at Georgetown when I was an undergrad. Um, so oh, I nice. Okay. Was not, I didn't know her yet. Um, but I was became familiar with her work um, when I was actually working with the school sisters of Notre Dame. And then when I, I guess, let's see, in 2022, I went to Villanova on a fellowship to write this book. And um, she was there. And so I connected <laughs> with her and she was very gracious and very generous with her time and, and um, just letting me kind of bounce ideas off of her, <laughs> which was really lovely. And um, yeah, she's wonderful. So very grateful for her, for her work and her influence, of course. Yeah, that's awesome. Count me, uh, count me jealous. Um, <laughs> all right, but anyway, I'm not, I'm not sure that I have said the the name of your book yet. It's uh, Revolutionary Hope. The R is in parentheses, which I love. Um, I use parentheses for my podcast, so perfect. Um, and then the subtitle is Spirituality of Encounter and Engagement in an Evolving World. And uh, what was interesting, so I thought it was cool. Um. Your kind of conversation partner throughout the book is Augustine. And I have a love-hate relationship with Augustine. <laughs> and so I'm curious, uh, why why was it Augustine that you wanted to kind of uh, journey with um, as, as you wrote your book? Yeah, <laughs> a couple of reasons. Uh, I know he's sort of a surprising... <laughs> surprising partner uh, to bring along for this. Um, for one thing, he it was his influence, uh, as I mentioned, that led me into the Catholic faith to begin with. And so I'd been journeying with him for a long time. Um, and so, you know, his influence on my thought is going to be there <laughs> no matter what, right? Um, so that's one thing is that I really do um, enjoy engaging with him. And part of it is just the what what I understand to be just a deeply human approach to life and to questions. <laughs> and so I really enjoy that about him. So uh, I think he's a, a really fun dialogue partner and a meaningful one. Um, the other part of it kind of has to do with the title and why the R is in parentheses. So, you know, it's called Revolutionary Hope um, because what I'm hoping to do with this book is to sort of bridge this binary thinking that we've gotten locked into that we either have to be progressive or we have to be traditionalists. Um, and what I'm hoping people will will um, be invited to, to acknowledge or, or to become aware of through reading this is that as we evolve, we're evolving, it's we're evolving from something, first of all, that there's, you know, appreciating what we're coming from is really important. Um, and then also, as we evolve, we're also in a lot of ways turning towards what has been most meaningful to us. And, and I think that's a really important connection to make that it's not leaving everything behind. In some ways, it's expanding or reinterpreting what has always been there. And um, so for me to bring Augustine along is sort of my way of saying like, yes, what I'm what I'm ultimately suggesting here is a reimagination of our tradition. And yet it's fully it's coming from this deep appreciation of our tradition. So. Yeah, I, I love it. And I like that you are um, 
trying to bridge that gap because uh, I, th- I mean, I think it's it's really important to recognize. I mean, um, listeners like love him or hate him. Augustine is arguably the most influential like theologian within the Christian tradition ever, yeah. uh, for better or for worse. And I I agree with you. His um, like kind of deeply uh, like like human approach is kind of how you said it um, is there. And he's like one of those people that I'd be really curious, like if I could sit down with and just like have a conversation. Right. Cause there's so much beauty. And then also things where I'm like, Oh dude, come on. Uh, <laughs> but I also think that about myself, right. There's, you know, episodes of this podcast that I go back and like, Oh, Joshua. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, um, I don't know. I, I think there's something beautiful about that because there is, there is this kind of, um, tendency within some more of the like progressive or like deconstruction spaces to want to just kind of take something and like completely throw it away, ditch it. And I understand like as someone who has, you know, been hurt by the church, these kind of things, I understand that um, kind of desire or that reaction. However, um, like Augustine in the same way has shaped my faith in, in some really beautiful ways that I wouldn't know Josh Patterson today without my relationship with Augustine, which in the same way, it sounds like that's kind of how you're describing uh, your own story. And I think there's, there's so much wisdom in being able to um, interact with somebody and, you know, kind of learn from the good and maybe say, okay, well, I disagree with you here, but also this is really beautiful. Like, I I, I don't know. It just seems like a more mature way of being in the world, something I'm striving for. (laughs) Yeah, aren't we all? (laughs) And so when I, like, I know for like, genuinely, when I was reading your book, um, I felt that tension because sometimes I'm like, dude, like Augustine is so annoying, but at the same time, like, this is really cool. So, um, I think you accomplished that uh, well throughout. I, I appreciated the challenge personally. So <laughs> wonderful, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I mean the thing I think is really interesting that you just alluded to is that you know the things that he got wrong, or at least have been interpreted <laughs> in ways that are fundamentally you know horrific. Um, I'm, I wonder, and I think, and part of what I'm getting at in this is if we could sit down and have a conversation, you know, I think the framework that he's articulating, it, it shouldn't lead him to those conclusions, right? And it shouldn't lead us to those conclusions. And so if he, you know, what, what is that, what does that conversation look like now, knowing what we know, how, how would that help to inform, which I think is a really important question, because if we're building our faith on you know these traditions we also have to to reimagine them according to more contemporary knowledge and insights right i mean as i think they would want to do right yeah yeah absolutely and um so i guess one of the uh like beautiful things that you do um inherit and embrace from augustine amongst other things is this question uh, that you kind of use as like a framework at, you kind of wrestle with this question throughout the book. And the question is, what do I love when I love my God? And uh, that question 
um haunts is seems like a negative word but like haunts me it seems like in similar ways that it might to you uh, as you engage with it throughout your book um it, this is kind of the question that i'm constantly asking um i remember having an experience this was probably four years ago um where i was doing what i normally do i was sitting at our our kitchen table i had a beer with me and i was like pouring over some theology books and my wife stopped me and asked me, was like, Josh, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? And at the time, I was like, that's a stupid question. I'm just like reading these books. Leave me alone. <laughs> but it has become something like, what do I love when I love my God? I'm, I'm like, have this kind of longing and desire and like this, this constant searching after, um, and so I guess I'm I'm curious. I mean, I know, like I said, you used this <laughs> kind of the framework for your book. But like, what what does that question stir up in you? Um, why why was that the one that you wanted to kind of kind of go with to to guide you here? Yeah, I mean, I think for one thing, you know, I I believe that that's the question we're all asking, right? I mean, in whether we're articulating it in that way or that explicitly or whether we're conscious of it at all, I think in some way or another to be human is sort of to, to seek an answer to that question. Um, and for another thing, I think the way that we answer that leads to the way that we act in the world. Um, you know, if depending on how I am defining God, you know, if my God is an authoritarian, likely I will try to uh, impose whatever I, I interpret as God's will onto everyone else, right? Um, so <laughs> I find that very problematic in a lot of ways. So I think uh, the more that we can consciously interrogate what our response to this question is, the, the less likely we will be to sort of engage in these knee-jerk reactions or these uh, dominative paradigms where we're trying to impose what we take as the good onto other people. Um, and I think, so as I, one of the reasons I wrote this book in, and framed it around that question is because I was looking at, um, you know, just sort of the, the volatile situation in our country specifically and of course, around the globe, but, um, and it, so in our political structures, just the way that we've sort of taken to um, asserting our sense of the good and trying to impose that, right? <laughs> and it's it just, uh, we have this sort of, again, a binary understanding of what it means uh, to engage politically. Um, and, you know, theologically or, or ecclesially, I should say, in the church, the in the Catholic Church especially, um, we're also under undergoing this sort of again tension between traditionalists and progressives, um, sort of fighting about whose version of Catholicism is the right one. Um, you know, who's understanding God the best? <laughs> and let's go with that. Um and you know, then personally, you know, at the time I was writing this book, I had an experience um where someone very close to me had a, a um, mental health crisis and was, it was religiously um, oriented. And so was sort of 
grappling with ideations about the punishment of God, right? And then when people would speak to me about it, like to offer words of comfort or prayer, it would always be, you know, God will protect her or God, God doesn't want that or God. And so all of those things sort of happening at once, right? These, these realities that I was living in um, and grappling with. And I was just, I became very much aware that the way God was being articulated was not sufficient <laughs> to, uh, you know, help me understand or help me find peace in these situations, right? God is still the high, the at the top of the hierarchy imposing a will, right? And so if that will is to dominate, if that will is to do violence, whatever it is, it's God's will. And so no amount of set of like, oh, well, God wouldn't do those things, right? God, even though God's at the, t- the top, God is willing love or whatever, To me, I go, but at the end of the day, (laughs) if someone thought that God was willing violence, we'd have to go with that, right? Like, I mean, there's not, you know, and so I needed a way to, to really, as I was trying to define who God was for myself, and as I was recognizing that our definitions of God, you know, were, were at odds with each other, were kind of leading to us invoking all of these hierarchies over each other. I wanted a way to understand God that could help me engage in right relationships that, that didn't play into these hierarchical paradigms, right? That I needed a new way of imagining God. And so that's sort of where I was coming from and what I was trying to get at uh, as I was writing this. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that hits the nail on the head. At least that's constantly been like the driving factor for me. I mean, that's what turned me into or onto rather um, like open and relational thinking or process thinking was the image of God that I was handed didn't line up with my experience of like how the world worked and uh, also didn't bring me I don't know if this is the best way of saying it, but like it wasn't a comforting image of God when there were some negative things happening in my life to be like, oh, this is just as you're saying, this God's will, God's plan, whatever. Um, it, it just started to to um, fail for me. And I've, I guess I felt this tension between like the image of God I was handed and the person of Jesus who people were like, you like Jesus is God kind of thing. And uh, my buddy Tripp, always uses this line. He says, God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. Right. And so like that kind of became like a, a motivational factor for me that kind of led me to, you know, rethink things and um, continues to drive me on my, my pursuit is I'm still trying to figure out uh, what I love when I, when I love God. <laughs> so ongoing. <laughs> well, I think, you know, that, that's something that that I have come to as well, that the idea of Jesus and the incarnation um, and finding Christ in others, right? The, and and in, in the world that we, you know, um, you know, I don't know 
how much we'll we'll get into this, but in terms of thinking about our our cosmos, right, that that everything is interconnected and everything uh, comes from the same place, right, the same source, and we share all these elements, and we're we're so just on a on a physical and biological and ecological way, we're so interconnected in a practical way, right? Everything is is connected, and so to understand Jesus as a a link in that connection you know, the link um, in in the Catholic tradition, I think is really helpful um, because it kind of, <laughs> it breaks us out of the abstract, right? That it's, it's no longer like, oh yeah, Christ who's in heaven and, <laughs> and will come back someday. Now it's, well, Jesus is incarnate and was of this earth, which means that that very same body is still connected in, to me and to you and to all of us, right? And so um, I think that helps to, yeah, take us out of abstractions and mitigate this sort of hierarchy in a way that can allow for um, encounter and reaching out of the self instead of sort of upward to some ideal. Mm. Yeah, the... Uh, the kind of the cosmos and the the cosmic Christ stuff that you get into is that some of like you want to if you want to pique my attention like that's the <laughs> that's where my mind goes so often um I really enjoyed that uh that chapter uh for sure and I definitely I want to talk about it but I um like if we if we can back up just a second before we get there um you made a conscious choice in your book to kind of use this language of conversion. Mm. So like each, each one of your chapters, kind of how you structure it is like these different uh, like conversion experiences uh, that you went through. Um, and I found that really interesting to, to continue like using this language of conversion when, you know, sometimes uh, I guess in the spaces that um, I'm most often associated with is like deconstruction or something like that. Uh but yeah, conversion stood out to me. And so I'm curious, why why is conversion the language that you went with as you kind of talk about your, you know, um, evolving faith? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think so for me, when I first converted to Catholicism, it was like, all right, I made it. <laughs> right like this is i found it here we are and uh this is the truth here we go um and so then when i started you know i i was introduced to the school system of notre dame and started working with them and they are you know so they're religious sisters right who are very much a part of the catholic church um and their way of being catholic was so different from what I had understood abstractly, that it kind of, I, I had to wrestle with that tension for a long time, you know, and I'd be going along like, all right, we're sharing so much, you know, our faith is based on the same principles, right, the same doctrine. And yet, their approach to the world is so different than mine, like our worldviews are very different. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out what what it was. And you know, this, we touched on this before, but I realized in interacting with them that, 
you know, as I tried to bring Christ to the world, right, I'm this missional understanding, right, I'm bringing Christ, um, their approach is to, to see Christ in others, right, and sort of learn from that. And, and, and just encounter and share love. <laughs> and so that was something that I went, oh, that makes so much sense. And it helped me understand the Catholic tradition, not in a way that was opposed to what I had learned, but in a way that deepened my appreciation and my understanding of it. Um, so that I felt like my faith was just so much richer because of this experience. Um, and I would say that that was a conversion experience, right? It, it was taking something that I was committed to and said, this is true. And yet it kind of turned it, turned it on its head a little bit and, and helped me reevaluate and re, um, reimagine what it was to be Catholic, which even though I'm still Catholic, right. It, I consider that a conversion experience. And so, um, you know, what I tried to highlight by using that language of conversion is that ultimately, I believe that our entire spiritual lives should be grounded in this conversion, in an openness to conversion, right? To, to As we're seeking, you know, we shouldn't ever get to the point where we go, that's it, got it, I'm done, I can, I can check out now. Um, it should always be you know, all the encounters and the experiences that we have as we uh, interrogate those and, and absorb them into ourselves, it should always be with a willingness to change and to to adopt new paradigms and new um, new awarenesses. Yeah, that's uh, beautifully said. It kind of, well, it reminds me of two things. One, it reminds me of this, like the general idea that a static faith or static belief system is a dead faith right or a dead belief system um and if things aren't aren't changing and growing then it's not alive uh and that's that's been like i guess encouraging to me right because my things are constantly changing and so i'm like okay well at least this makes me feel good but um it also reminds me and i can't remember off the top of my head who i'm stealing this from I, it might be kierkegaard uh, when Kierkegaard was asked, like, are you a Christian? Um, it's like, well, no, but I'm, I'm becoming one. Mm -hmm. And so as, as you're talking about like, oh, I'm still like Catholic, but like having these conversion experiences, it reminded me of something similar. Um, like these, yeah, I don't know, as we continue to, to grow and learn and, um, change, it's like, well, I'm still a Catholic, but also I'm, I'm becoming one. Like I'm, yeah. trying to figure out what that is kind of thing uh yeah, and that's exactly. exciting to me yeah that um i don't know i i appreciate the i think there's a deep humility within that kind of posture because it's as you were saying it's not this like i've arrived now i'm catholic or like <laughs> whatever um but it it leaves oneself open to uh mystery or to new information as you know you talk about uh, like cosmology and evolving consciousness so like as we learn stuff about you know science and these kind of things it they don't become a threat to our faith but rather something that can continue to inspire like awe and wonder and um you know 
I guess, ask ourselves, oh, well, in light of this information, what does it mean to be Catholic? Like, it's so it's exciting to me, uh, I guess. I don't know. But (laughs) there's a lot there. Sorry if I I rambled a little bit. No, it is exciting. I think, Uh, you know, it's exciting to me. It's also very intimidating. (laughs) I think there's, you know, there's a way in which this static understanding or like, you know, accepting something as true and and that's it not really interrogating it further or or allowing it to evolve that's you know there's a stability in that that's very comforting <laughs> and um you know it's it's very tempting to do that i think you know our human tendency is to cling to those things right that we we want that stability and so you know I think it's it's really easy to do and it makes life in a lot of ways a lot easier. But I also think that when we do that, that's when we start, that's when we have adopted this paradigms of hierarchy that no longer match up with our reality, right? The reality of our existence. And that turns into the tendency to dominate and to do violence. So. Yeah, uh, I, li- I like that phrasing, the, the paradigms of hierarchy. Um, well, so earlier in our conversation, you kind of mentioned that you work at the intersection of like scholarship and praxis, uh, which is cool. I like that because for me, I tend to very much be like, uh, like I live in my head too much, like an intellectual person and that's cool. But like, if I don't do anything with it, I guess like, cool. Like I had some fine thoughts, right? Uh, and so I thought it was interesting. You kind of start the the first like conversion that you talk about in your book is the kind of intellectual. So kind of starting with like that more scholarship lens, I guess. And as you kind of work your way through, you end up in in praxis in like the pragmatic. You know, here's here's how it goes. So I'm I'm curious for you. Do you tend to be a more like heady type person that then was like, well, now I want to do the praxis thing. Or were you more interested in like the praxis and then some of the intellect came into it? Like what what does that relationship look like for you? <laughs> I think when I'm at my best, it's both and. Um, but I absolutely tend towards the heady, like, let me just stick to my books and write something and not have to actually engage here. Um yeah, which, <laughs> you know, there again, there, that's just sort of my, um, that's my comfort zone, right? Um, and it's less messy, you know, the, the <laughs> it's just, you don't typically have to, you know, have any of the relational vulnerability with the books that you read. <laughs> um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we do, right? Um, but I think, yeah, so it grew, so certainly, Certainly when I started, I was very much just the intellectual, right? Um, Which got me into a lot of trouble. And then it was when my theories met with the the messy realities of human life and existence that I started to realize that I needed a conversion. I needed a paradigm shift to help me like help my theories map on to what was actually going on. Um, so yeah, so that's why, you know, this, the spirituality of encounter and engagement, 
Um, that's why that's the subtitle of this book, because I think every time we encounter another, it helps to um, either challenge or um, enrich whatever it is that we think we know about something, right? Um, and so I think that has happened to me quite a bit. And so now, you know, I really do try and hope to have my life kind of a balance of the two, um, because, you know, I do think that as we learn and know more about things, it becomes incumbent upon us to act to, um, you know, help help spread that that goodness or knowledge that we think we know. But always, again, I hope we'll talk about this, but this is where it gets complicated, right? With how do we do that without sort of imposing our our understanding on others? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the um, geez, my brain went in a million directions and I lost my train of thought, forgive me. Hashtag ADHD friends. Um, but the, yeah, the, so that encounter piece, um, I think is so important because at least for me, that's where some of my own like conversions happened was when my ideas, like these abstract things out here met real people and then was like, wait a minute, these thoughts or ideas that I've been told about, like this kind of person is not lining up. And then like that kind of calls for that conversion ex experience. Um, yeah, which I, I think is, is, um, is beautiful and helpful. And that's like one thing that I, that I think the evangelical tradition, at least in my experience did so poorly was kind of tell people like, Hey, your, your experience doesn't matter. Um, just here's, you know, follow this stuff. And so then when your experience didn't line up with those things, you had to choose like, well, obviously it's the doctrine that's right. Your experience is stupid. Um, and that was, yeah. Which I think, oh, sorry. No, you're good. No. Go for it. No, I just, um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, first of all, really problematic, especially when we think of who has been excluded from the development of doctrine, right? That that's uh, a problematic stance to take. Um, you know, we act as, as though it's solely been just sort of revealed from on high when in fact it's been through particular people, primarily white men, right? <laughs> white Western men. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think n without sort of denigrating what's been revealed, I think by recognizing the limitations, we can start to include more voices in that um, and more awareness it, that, you know, perhaps what we've perceived has not been the wholeness of what is, and that there are ways in which, um, you know, other experiences could have something to say. But also, I think, um, how do I want to say this? I think the idea that you know, our encounters when, when sort of this abstract ideal doesn't map onto, uh, experience. I still, I believe that it's important to have, a uh, to, uh, to hold that tension and to allow yourself to kind of interrogate why it's not mapping on what is, what is at stake here? What is really happening? You know, because I think to have a way to kind of check 
our our desires or our our interpretations against sort of a broader um a broader communal understanding of what what is happening is really important and really helpful so that we don't sort of start narcissistically projecting ourselves onto all of reality right but i also think that because we are all participants in this whole right the whole of of all that is that our experience absolutely matters and should be accounted for and and you know that that sometimes it will be intention and we have to be able to hold that and that's okay right yeah that that's really interesting i haven't uh yeah because the hmm that's curious to me because the yeah this idea of of the whole but then being able to hold tension within the whole because that the you know the other so to speak as you as you were mentioning is to a part of that whole <laughs> and when we talk about holes the individual doesn't know themselves apart from their relation to the whole in the same way that the whole doesn't know itself without that individual and so that yeah that tension is is rather curious um yeah and i huh yeah all right well i like that <laughs> the um and and yeah i guess the the willingness to embrace that tension and this gets at i guess what you're talking about um when you mentioned earlier about like engaging with with the other without imposing is is that kind of i guess that deep recognition that um both parties in that exchange i guess so to speak are a part of the whole and we wouldn't know the whole without them and so that kind of doesn't allow you just to write off the other right right um yeah you're kind of uh i don't want to say forced to engage but i guess in, in that sense yeah um well we're we're in relationship whether yeah. we acknowledge it or not whether you know right. whatever it looks like whatever boundaries we need to to hold you know we're still in relationship in some way just in virtue of being part of this interconnected reality of existence right um and so yeah i think that's why approaching these questions from a relational standpoint is so important because if we're just sort of trying to do what's abstractly right all the time it, it doesn't get us very far right uh or it's very harmful so huh what what was um in line with that thought what was your experience engaging with um augustine when it comes to a particular or particularly like kind of pushed away voice uh that you yourself possess which is that of just by virtue of not having a penis um it's like well mm, bummer for you and Augustine is a curious conversation partner in that. And also kind of the evangelical to Catholic bit is interesting there. Um, yeah. What, what was that kind of uh, conversion experience like as you engage with that and continue to engage with that? Yeah, I, so this is a little bit embarrassing, but I didn't really realize that that was something I needed to engage with for a long time. Like, post, well, probably in graduate school, maybe a little after graduate school, I was like, oh, 
that's not something I can just skip over. Right? <laughs> like, this is, I was just, you know, I think Augustine's thought is so beautiful and he holds this ethic of right relationships, right? That's sort of how I read him is through this lens of relationality, which I think is wonderful. And I just read him like that. And then, and I would just go like, oh, well, we know better, like women, this doesn't apply. His his thoughts on women don't apply anymore, right? <laughs> like we can just kind of move on. Um, and then as I did more of this work and started engaging with the sisters, I went, wait a minute. <laughs> like it's actually, you know, the effects of that kind of thinking are woven through all of our church action right now, right? <laughs> like that we're still feeling that the effects of this today. Um, this idea that women are, um, for, so for there are obviously various takes on this, but for Augustine, um, you know, women are equal in soul. So we, we have equal souls, um, but we are, we essentially need men to be complete. So um, God still loves us. It's all good, but... <laughs> We uh, are not equal in rationality to men. And so uh, we need to be, um, we need men to complete us and also our bodies, women specifically, are problematic, right? We're seductive. We lead men to sin. So um, it's, and so that's woven throughout his thought. And I think part of it, again, you know, as I read confessions is, you know, he had this really heartbreaking experience of having to uh, leave his common law wife uh, and the mother of his son, right? Which, um, and he left and then um, eventually obviously became a priest, but he was really heartbroken, right? And so it just tore him apart. And I think, you know, a lot, maybe I like to think that as he's doing his theology, that's playing a role, right? Like he needs some way to kind of assuage <laughs> the, this pain that he's feeling, um, but you know, it, it caused all sorts of problems now, of course, for us. And so I think what I was trying to, I was trying to be very real about the problems that have come out of Augustine's thought. And, you know, obviously he's one thinker, we can say he doesn't stand for the whole church or whatever, but, you know, he is the most cited person in the catechism of the Catholic church, which is, you know, where we get our, our doctrine or what lays out our doctrine. And so he's the most cited person. And then, you know, we see women cited 14 times right <laughs> throughout. And um, so there's clearly, you know, his influence has been, is very clear. And I think, you know, the whole idea, there's a lot of talk about like the feminine genius in Catholic thought and, um, complementarity between men and women and this idea that sort of we can there are virtues that men hold virtues that women hold and they complement each other um and so that has come out of um i'm gonna say it's come out of augustinian theology there are clearly various sources that it has come from <laughs> um but taking this idea of hierarchy right Someone has to be at the top. So for Augustine, God is at the top. Then come men who are fully rational, then women, right? Um, and then animals and rocks and so forth. Um, and so that that 
cosmology of hierarchy has put people in their places and it's still happening. Right. And so even as much as we want to say, well, men and women complement each other. Okay. But essentially what has happened is that men got certain, you know, the good virtues and women were like, Oh yeah, you can, you can have those. Right. And you're not fully complete unless you, you share, <laughs> um, which not to, so I don't want to denigrate like the idea of complementing each other, but I think the way it's done is very binary and very um, misogynistic in a lot of ways. Um, and so it comes out of though that hierarchical framework of understanding, which is something that we really need to grapple with if we want to move forward from that. Um, and so that's why as a woman engaging with a guest and I wanted to be very honest about where he was coming from and also note there are pieces of his account that really should correct for this right that really should make us rethink this hierarchy and rethink the way that women are are uh accepted and and understood in the church um so hopefully that came through <laughs> yeah yeah I I like the I don't know I know I've already said this but the the taking Augustine for what he was and then embracing it, but then also like being like, dude, like how do you say this beautiful thing? And then also this, like, shouldn't this, you know, influence here? Like I, I enjoyed that kind of the, the play, but um, the projection piece that, or I'm calling it projection. That was not your words that uh, you said with um, Augustine is interesting. Cause I think, this happens so much. Like, I think that's a part of like being human. Right. I, you know, I think of someone else like influential theologian, like Luther, right. Who I think so much of Luther's theology was predicated on the fact that he was like, so fucking scared of going to hell that like, that like drove him and he put that on everything. And he said some really beautiful things because of that. But then he also said some like very not great stuff at the same time. And so I think the, um, I don't know, that kind of it gives me pause and wants, wants me to kind of like ask myself, okay, where are the places in me that I'm trying to project in my own theology or what, what are the places in me that maybe I'm saying things that could be like harmful or something like that? So maybe instead of just wanting to write off someone like Augustine or Luther or whoever, um, do what you're doing and embrace them uh, and be in conversation with them and, and use them as a, a means of um, conversion or a transformation. Um, I don't know, just a thought, but I guess another, because a chapter that I, I really loved and it's just because it's kind of my love language currently to use super evangelical language <laughs> was, the, <laughs> was kind of the, the bit about the cosmos um, and I think that actually ties interestingly into the patriarchy bit, because I think the more we learn about the cosmos and quantum physics and these kind of things, that hierarchical language just dissolves like it doesn't work anymore. Um, and so I'm curious what the like what your own engagement uh, with these kind of things, like how that is has led to conversion for you as well. Yeah, well. So first of all, I'm not a scientist. So I just want to lay that Me out there. Me neither. Theologian <laughs> all the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, as I 
so when I worked for the SSNDs, a part of um, what they what was emerging in them was this awareness of um, integral ecology, right? So um, first of all, Pope Francis just wrote a, an encyclical in 2015, which is like a, you know, an official church teaching. Um, and it was all about the environment. It was called Laudato Si. And so it was all about our connection to the environment, our responsibilities to the environment and our responsibilities to one another in light of that, right? Um, so it, it really situated the Catholic church and our faith in our context as human beings on this planet, right? <laughs> Who have emerged from this planet. Um, and so when I worked for the SSNDs, they were really trying to process that and, and, um, and learn how to incorporate that into their spirituality and their spiritual practice. Um, so I did a lot of study around those kinds of concepts, right? Like, what does it mean that we're actually interconnected, that we've been evolving for, you know, almost 14 billion years and, and now here we are and, um, how is it that we're all interconnected, right? We can see it practically, but underneath, right? <laughs> What's going on there? Um, what can we learn from the ecosystems that we're observing, right? How can we understand how to be better humans based on what we're seeing the natural world do? Um, so all of those things became a part of both my intellectual um, research and also my spiritual practice, right? They were kind of uh, interconnected, so to speak. Um, and so as I did that and learned more about this, it was just very clear to me that, well, no, I should, before it became very clear, I still was very much committed to this Augustinian hierarchical cosmological vision. Okay. So again, God at the top, um, which just to clarify, because I, this is something I feel strongly about. God is also within creation for Augustine. So just, <laughs> but God at the top. Um, and then, you know, emanating from that is men, women, uh, animals, so on and so forth. Um, and so it's a very platonic worldview, um, a very ancient cosmology of picturing the universe in this structured way of hierarchy. Um, and so for me, you know, I engaged with that and I was like, oh, if we want to enact right relationships, we just have to love everything like according to their place in the hierarchy, right? So uh, loving human beings, right? Everybody's equal in this hierarchy. So I have to, you know, to seek justice is to to engage in right relationships to make sure everyone has what they need to flourish, all these things, um, which sounds good and sounds right um, until you have to make the decision of, um, okay, well, what if that person's flourishing is not what I'm thinking is flourishing, right? Is not what I understand God to be saying is flourishing. And then it gets very difficult, right? <laughs> and so I was kind of working with that. And then as I was studying this, the new cosmology, I was, I went, oh, of course it doesn't make sense. Of course, it's it, there's so many tensions here and we, we can't hold them because if we're working from a paradigm of hierarchy, that's not what our reality is. Like he's using this ancient model of the cosmos and we're still working off that in the church when we have a new model <laughs> that we, we understand better how things work now. Um, and so 
you know, part of this project was to say, okay, well, let's see if we can uh, sort of flip that framework on its side so that there's no longer a hierarchy, but there's um, purely relationship and interconnection. And then how can we understand, you know, in light of what we know about evolution and new cosmology, then what does that mean for right relationships? Because I think, you know, that the idea that we still, that um, we should seek right relationships is really key. Um, and I think Augustine has some really important tips on how to do that. But how do we reframe that and reimagine it in light of what we know now? Yeah, that, um, that exactly what you just named was something that for me was like a big, like, like kind of mind blowing, like aha kind of moment. Um, and it was kind of this, like, if we're like, if we have, <laughs> if we're doing our theology or like whatever, and it's based off this old model or this old cosmology or this old um you know like ancient greek metaphysic or whatever and we know reality is not that and then continue to do our theology on top of it like you said there's always going to be these tensions um and so for me that just it like didn't work anymore and then i had this kind of like oh well god has to be at least as big as the universe right and that kind of was like, oh, okay. And that that kind of helped then open up to some of this kind of reframing, um, which is like scary, right? And difficult to, to kind of shatter, you know, one's worldview or something like that. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, that shift for me was big. And then also the shift into kind of the, like the relationality, um, that you've consistently talked about throughout this conversation. Uh, it, I mean, that's really the piece why I, you know, consider myself like an open and relational thinker is that relationship piece is, is huge. Um, and so I guess I'm curious, like out of that kind of shift and change in the cosmology, it kind of begs this question that um, I think is, seems to be kind of popular right now, at least um, people are asking it and that's of like the cosmic Christ. Um, which is something that you talk about uh, as well throughout um, throughout your book. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just curious, like I always like asking people when you think of like, oh, the cosmic Christ, um, what do you mean by that? And like, how, how does the cosmic Christ lead you to like praxis kind of thing? Well, I think um, I might've alluded to this earlier, but um, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I think um, for me, you know, when I think about, uh, for me, Christ essentially is the reality that holds all that is together, right? It's it re Christ is reality. And so as, you know, we see the, or as we think about the incarnation and think about how Jesus took on flesh, which is not just human flesh, but is flesh, you know, from stardust, right? <laughs> and everything in between. Um, that should sacralize the whole world, right? That should sacralize everything. And it should also help us to relate to one another with this energy of love that Christ 
brings that is the foundation of all that is right this energy that connects us all as we participate in that as we help to foster flourishing help to um bring or invite everything that is to fully participate in this wholeness of being i think that is how we encounter christ um and especially you know looking towards those who have been marginalized from you know and that includes not just persons who have been marginalized, also the earth, right? And thinking about how can we live in a way that participates in this wholeness of being that is Christ, right? That Christ has incarnated and holds together and makes real. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think the perhaps like the going against like all right so if if reality is this like deeply interconnected relational whole um anytime we live in such a way as though that's not true is like when like bad things happen <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. and like maybe that's we could call that sin or something like that um yeah it's exactly that breaking that that harm in relationships Yes. You know, what is sin if if not that? Right? Yeah. That, that that thinking of ourselves as as though we don't need the whole or we're we're somehow excluded or or better than the whole, right? Um yeah, that's where sin comes from for sure. <laughs> and it that which it makes it all the more challenging too, because then you have Jesus going around saying things like love your enemies. And you're like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> right. Like that is such, that's yeah. It's like such a challenging, but also at the same time, transforming call. Uh, because then I think that too, in a way, Jesus is like, love your enemies is a callback to the recognition of the deep relational whole. Um, yeah. Like, it's not like Jesus just saying it for like, you know, shits and giggles but like rather it's this this callback um this awakening to reality uh yeah. as it is yeah and i think that it also helps with this idea you know as, that we've talked about before of like having an understanding of what is good and but not dominant you know not asserting our dominance to impose it um because i think you know for me as i i look towards you know, as I, as I think about Christ in the world, right, <laughs> the, the incarnation of Christ, um, and think about how that sacralizes all and calls me to facilitate the flourishing of all and right relationships. And then when I think about people who are actively harm, harming others, right, and I see that and I, and it's like, and, you know, of course, as I I'm not saying I'm excluded from this people who harm, um, but I think there's a way in which understanding both our relationship to those who we would consider enemies, like who, and I, I don't, I don't love to use that language, but those who we, who we think are not uh, affirming right relationships, right? Um, so the call to love them means both that we have to be humble about it, right? That we have to, as we're sort of un thinking about how we should act, it calls for humility. Like we might be wrong here. Let's just 
okay. <laughs> but I also think that this paradigm of interconnection means that we can look for wherever dominance is happening and say, okay, well, I, I'm fairly confident that wherever I'm seeing, you know, th these um, acts of domination, that I can be, that I can try to help um, prevent those or move beyond those, right? I can, I can try, I think I should try to stop those and foster healing, right? <laughs> um, and I think that's where, you know, this, this kind of thinking is often accused of relativism um, because it's like, oh, well, if we can't say we're right, then, you know, anybody can be right and we can just do whatever we want. But I think understanding, uh, first of all, understanding Christ as this sort of, as incarnate means that um, biology matters. And so when we look at things like, um, you know, what are things that all people and all things need, right? We all need food. We all need um, drink. So we can kind of build an ethic around physical things that we need, right? Like that, that we know that we need and that Jesus says, do this for me, <laughs> right? Like, give me this, these things. Um, and so the other stuff, like, you know, I think about certain political commitments right now that are sort of more abstract or uh, imposing an ideal. I think we, you know, we need to rethink whether that's appropriate or is that just imposing domination without looking at the experience. Um, I don't know if that made sense, but <laughs> I think it's important to to make those connections too. Yeah, no, it made it makes total sense, and I think that's that really is where kind of the like rubber meets the road, so to speak, or that as to use your language, that's where like the um, uh, scholarship meets the praxis is like okay, cool. So if we're going to live as if like if we know this is the relational whole, whatever, if we're going to live as if this is true, then like when we see things that go against it, we should, we should speak up um, and act out. And I think the relativism bit is so interesting to me. That's like another one of my current, like things I'm fixated on <laughs> is uh, um, just like religious pluralism in general. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get comfortable with uh, the idea that like, because I, I don't want to I don't want to do the rel like relativism. I want to be able to affirm different like religious traditions for what they are in a way that respects them and doesn't like take something away or be like, oh, they're just secretly really Christians and they don't like don't know it yet kind of thing. Um, like I want to kind of have the humility to say like, no, there's like something here that I can learn from there. There's wisdom. It's it's different. Um but then at the same time, I still have this like feeling of like, yeah, but this like Jesus guy and like the Christ stuff is like really freaking cool. Right. <laughs> or like this is this is the particular uh, understanding of the divine that works best for me or something like that. Um, and so I think what you're saying is helpful to me because there's an invitation to enter into those spaces without feeling the need to impose like you were saying right um and it can bring like a, a humility but also if you think about these different um re religions or people or whatever within that whole relational whole then it's like okay well we don't know it without them either 
Yeah. And it's like this more beautiful image. Uh, yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, hopefully that made sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, one of my favorite theologians, Ivone Gabara, and she's a, an ecofeminist theologian from Brazil. And uh, she talks about the biodiversity of religion and um, how it's really critical to the flourishing of all things <laughs> to have these varied and interconnected ways of approaching reality. Um, and I think that's a really helpful image to like, you know, as we're understanding ourselves as part of the earth, part of these ecosystems that our religious traditions are too, right? <laughs> and that, that that's, you know, really important and really uh, helpful for flourishing. And I think um, she also talks about religion as a language, which, um, uh, you know, a, a language for expressing and connecting with the divine, however we understand that. And I think as you were talking, it reminded me of that because, you know, I think often, you know, we're most comfortable in our, our vernacular, um, but there are also expressions in, in other languages that just don't translate, right? <laughs> that, that, or, or if they do, like, they're just so beautiful and we don't have the same words, <laughs> right? Um, and I think that's a, a helpful way of, of approaching these religious questions too, um, that they're, you know, we're all, linguistics is all about trying to get at reality and communicate reality, and yet we have these different ways of doing it and different um, different understandings. I don't know if that's that's helpful, but no, absolutely. I um, took note of uh, you said Bonica Barra and that biodiversity of religion. That I mean, that's intriguing. I love it. Um, yeah, and it's just I don't know when I when I think about that. It's like if uh, if I hold to something like you know, God is present in and through all things, right? Um, and is meeting uh, creation moment by moment. Then it's like, of course, the divine is going to be present in people's experiences that look different than mine, <laughs> right? I don't have to center myself as like the arbiter of like uh, religious experience or something like that. Um rather recognize no like the thing that's true about me uh the truest thing that about me that like god or or the divine um the image of god is like the the core of who i am that spark exists within uh is also true about um my neighbors the ones that look yeah. differently than me believe differently than me etc um and that kind of call into this relational wholeness um and to embrace at the margins uh as you were saying and as you have a chapter on um I think it's really beautiful way of bringing those things together. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Well, I, so I have to admit, I feel like I've been very kind of scatterbrained <laughs> during our, our conversation. Um, the like, the like whole zoom thing, not working and all like really frustrated me. And so I've, I've been trying to like ground myself the whole time during yeah, our conversation. No so hopefully that hasn't, uh, come across to you in a negative sense but like i'm curious is there something um they're like geez i can't believe josh didn't bring up this or or mention that or like something you really wanted to talk about um that maybe we could you know 
talk about now or like maybe there's some thoughts in conclusion that you would like to say i don't know i just feel like i've been i haven't felt grounded and that's uh i apologize for that so hopefully that hasn't come off negatively to you but no i i've enjoyed this conversation very much i um <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah i think we've we've touched on on all of the chapters so yeah. uh yeah i think um just to, by way of conclusion i think um what I'm hopeful for is that this book can, will invite people to sort of loosen their grip on some of the the most tightly held convictions, right? And and invite people to sort of reimagine what those could look like and how those might um, be better embodied, um, or at least more holistically embodied. And I, I just hope, you know, it can seem, I think, so two of the dangers with this kind of thinking is that there are that one, it can um, seem relativistic, as we've talked about, and two, it can seem kind of idealistic, right? Like, okay, who cares, right? This is, I don't know, here we are, we we want power, we, we have all these power structures, this is how the world is, right? Um, but I'm hopeful that this conversation and this book will kind of help articulate the reason this is so important, right? That that approaching where we are now from a new paradigm of interconnection as opposed to the past paradigms of hierarchy is the way is a way forward. It's a way to help us um us, you know, mediate some of these tensions and move beyond some of these bi rigid binaries that we've created um, that have caused so much harm and so much violence. And so I really do, you know, my hope is that this will be a very practical book and helpful book uh, in kind of reimagining our tradition so that we can move beyond those things and start to engage in this, um, in fostering wholeness. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, uh, I mean, at least for me, I think that the the goal is there and the, the potential is there because there's so like I here, I'll put it this way. I don't think religion is going anywhere. I know like the church is in decline and all these kind of things. Um, but I think religion is just like some kind of like part of like evolution and stuff. Like it's almost like it's not going anywhere. And so when there's like harmful, shitty versions of it the best thing to do is like, well, why not? We we can make it better. And so I think what you're proposing and offering uh, within your book is just that, like, here's a better way to um, be and exist in these, in these spaces. Um, and I think that's, that's so needed right now when we just kind of see what happens when um, religion is taken and abused <laughs> and what it does to uh, other people, what it does to the environment, um, what we do to ourselves, etc. And so um, I'm excited uh, for thinking like this, for books like this. Um, there should be more of them. So thank you for, uh, for writing and putting your voice out there and inviting us into uh, a more beautiful picture. Uh, well, I appreciate thank it. You. Thank you for inviting me to this conversation. I'm really grateful. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun. And um, like I said, our, our, you know, we're not too far geographically, so perhaps our paths will cross in the future. Um, yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, 
Sweet. Well, um, I will be sure to link your book in the show notes. Is there any anything else you would like me to, to link or places um, I can point listeners to like find you and your work? Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to link to the Center on Faith and Justice at Georgetown um, for people who are interested in that intersection of religion and politics, uh, for sure, send them that way. Sweet. Sounds good. I took note of it. Um, so it'll be there. Uh, thank you again so much for hanging out today. And listeners, uh, thank you guys as well. You made it to the end. So thanks for being here. And uh, as always, guys, go in peace. Peace.